0: Good morning. It's a privilege and a joy to lead you in the study of God's Word today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, looking at verses 16 through 18. That's on page 807, if you're using the Bibles there in the chair back in front of you. And we've been going through a sermon series leading up to Christmas, an Advent series, and we've been looking at the genealogy of Christmas, the genealogy of Jesus Christ as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, and we've been focusing on specifically the names and the titles that are given to our Lord Jesus, and they have extreme significance, and they speak to us about His work, His purpose, His mission, and what He came to do for us. Wilson led us in a study last week on the name Jesus. The name Jesus speaks to God's salvific perfect purpose. It says it means that God saves That our hope for salvation is in Christ alone, even as the angel said to Mary and Joseph, you will bear a sign and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, this morning, the hope of Christmas is found in Christ alone. And this morning, we're going to look at the title Christ and what that means for us. What is the significance of the title Christ? Why is Jesus called the Christ. Mark Jones notes in his book, Knowing Christ, he says that Jesus is a name, whereas Christ is a title that becomes a name that Jesus gets. So hear now God's word from Matthew chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, and then we'll pray. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God of all grace, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Your word shows forth Jesus Christ, who is the light of this world, who came into the darkness, bringing hope and peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom your favor rests Jesus, we pray this morning that as we study what it means that you are called the Christ, that we would be compelled to want to worship you more, to see your glory, your beauty, and to long to know more of you and live for you. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts collectively in this room would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. What is your relationship to hope. What is your relationship with hope? Stephen King once wrote in his novella, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, he wrote, fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. I don't know about you, but I often feel like in my heart, hope and fear collide at the same time. You know what it feels like to get your hopes up, to eagerly expect something coming down the line, only to be disappointed. And sometimes you may be here this morning, and sometimes you may wonder if hope's even worth it at all, to get your hopes up and to be disappointed. We hear that phrase from people all the time, or maybe that voice in the back of your mind that says, don't get your hopes up. You're just going to be disappointed. You're just going to be let down. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, Maybe hope's just a waste of time. Maybe you've been driven to despair, to fear, and you're afraid of hope. But what if the hopes and the fears of all the years were met in the person of Jesus Christ? What if your fear of hope, what if the scariness of hope in general is met in Jesus Christ? What the Bible confronts us with is a hope that's more than a feeling, a hope that's more than just an expectation, but hope that's something real, hope that's a reality in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came and he gave his life for our sins and then he rose again. Hope lives and hope is real because Jesus is real and rose again from the dead. And in our passage this morning, as we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, as Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew realizes the hope of of all of the saints throughout the Old Testament leading up to the coming of the Christ. They were waiting for this Christ to be born. They were longing for this promised son to come who would bring salvation for his people. They were yearning for it year after year. When will it finally happen? And Matthew sits down and he writes name after name after name, getting closer and closer and closer to writing those words, now the birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. The hope and the fears of all the years were met with the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, Christ is the hope of Christmas. Maybe you're here this morning And you've looked for hope all throughout the world, you've looked for hope in circumstances or family or other things, and you're wondering, is there really any hope? Well, this morning, the Bible confronts our hearts with hope that is real, hope that is found in Christ alone. Christ is the hope of Christmas. We're going to look at that idea under two points. First, who is the Christ? So what what does the term Christ mean? And secondly, why do we need the Christ? Who is the Christ and why do we need him? So first, what does the title Christ mean? The title Christ or Messiah, the two terms are synonymous, means anointed one. And this anointed figure, the Messiah, was the hope of all of the people of God. And one of my seminary professors one time said to us in jest, he said, um, but he he was serious too. He said, guys, you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ, the title Christ, carries with it weight and significance and meaning, as do all of the names that our Savior bears. And so when we say that Jesus is the Christ, what we are saying is that Christ is the anointed one. He's the one promised from of old. He's the one that all of the people of God were hoping for, longing for, waiting upon. Their hope rested on this coming Christ. And we see this promise begin all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve sinned and they transgressed God's law by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had forbidden them to eat and told them, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. I wonder what Adam and Eve were thinking. Maybe they were thinking, what now? Is there any hope for us? As they scrambled to try to cover themselves and hide from God, and yet God comes looking for them. God comes in the Garden and he calls them out of their hiding. And he looks at the devil. He looks at the great enemy of God's people. And he says, Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God says, Satan, your days are numbered. I'm going to fix what's broken. I'm going to overcome sin and death by sending my chosen one and offspring of the woman who will bring salvation to the world. When Adam and Eve had no hope, God gave them hope. Hope in the form of a promise, hope in the form of a promise of a son to come who would save his people from his sins, who would come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. A hope that's not a gotcha, but a hope that's a reality in Jesus Christ. God delivered on his promise when he sent his son. God promises them a sign. You see this promise, it flows from Eden to Abraham. God promised Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he chooses to send Jesus Christ through the line of Abraham. And so as Matthew is writing this genealogy and he takes it from Abraham, he moves all the way to David, as he says, David the king. God had told David in 2 Samuel that he would establish his throne forever and that a descendant of David would rule and reign on the throne of his kingdom and God would establish it as an everlasting kingdom. And that promise is fulfilled in the coming of the Christ. And so Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus back to both David and Abraham, that this this offspring, the Davidic king, the Messiah, this hope, Finds its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ. As Matthew writes, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Christ means anointed. And the idea and the concept of anointing is all over the Old Testament. You have the priests, the prophets, and the kings. They were all anointed with oil and set apart for the work of God. The the priests were set apart to offer the sacrifices and to lead the people in worship, and the prophets for proclaiming the word of God, and the kings for ruling and and representing the people. And so we have to ask the question, well, if the Christ means anointed one, then with what is Jesus anointed? How is Jesus anointed? Well, the Bible tells us, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, that Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And you see this happen at the baptism of Jesus a little later in Matthew where Jesus emerges from the waters and the heavens open and the Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove and the Father's voice rings out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit anoints Jesus. What God is saying is, this is the Christ. This is the one I promise. This is the chosen Son the eternal Son of God that I promised to send into this world to take away sin and to bring salvation. He is here. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus later on stands in the temple and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in Isaiah 61. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then Jesus looks around at those who are gathered and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, I am the one that God promised from of old. I have come to make my blessings flow far as the curse is found. Friends, Christ is the hope of Christmas. He's the anointed one. He's God's perfect son who was sent into this world to bring salvation and hope and life. And so my question for all of us this morning is this, where have you placed your hope? Where is your hope? It's easy to fix our ultimate hope on things or circumstances around us. And maybe you put your ultimate hope in your marriage and you put undue expectations on your marriage and maybe your spouse because your ultimate hope rests in having the perfect marriage rather than the perfect Savior. And you seek to find life from that, or maybe you're driven by work and success, and you've resolved in your heart that you can't be happy or you have no worth unless you're successful. And so your hope is wrapped up in your career or calling, and you toil and you strive and you weary yourself with that work because ultimately your hope is placed there. But what the Bible confronts us with is actually true hope. Hope that comes in Jesus Christ, where the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in his birth. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to refix our gaze, refocus our hope on him alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Can you sing that this Christmas? Having your family together and them not fighting for the first time ever is not good enough. Jesus alone is true hope and salvation. Is that where your hope is today? Christ is the hope of Christmas. He's God's anointed. But for what purpose was the Christ anointed? Why do we need the Christ? Why do you need the Christ this morning? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 31 says, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed, And it answers, because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. Why do you need the Christ? Because he was anointed to be your prophet, your priest, and your king. True hope that sets us free is found in Christ alone. To him, God rest you Mary, Mary gentlemen says, remember Christ our Savior, was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray, O tidings of comfort and joy. How does the Christ save us from Satan's power? Well, first, we see that we need the Christ because the Christ was ordained and he was anointed to be the prophet who reveals to us the will of God for our salvation. Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And the prophets in the Old Testament had long foretold of this Christ to come. And the writer of Hebrews says, and starts his book off like this, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Christ was appointed to come and to reveal to us the will of God for our salvation, to teach us How we can be saved through him. And the Christ comes preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hope comes through Christ who is the prophet. Christ, as the word made flesh, reveals to us the will of God for our salvation. You need the Christ because he is the true prophet to come. But also we need the Christ because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be our great high priest. Christ was anointed to be our priest. And how does Jesus accomplish the work of a priest? So the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that Christ made purification for sins. If you'll remember, this is the work of the priests in the Old Testament as they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, whether they would bring a lamb and that lamb would be slain to atone for the sins of the world. And yet the writer of Hebrews says that these sacrifices actually could not take away sins. But these sacrifices pointed to a greater sacrifice, a greater priest, a priest who actually becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, a priest who enters into our broken and messy world and who gives his life for our salvation. The priest becomes the Lamb and offers himself as a once-for-all sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Isaiah says, that the Christ would surely bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. When we, like sheep, had gone astray and turned away from God, God turned towards us in Christ, and Christ became the Lamb who took away our sin. And Christ tells his disciples after his resurrection, he says, "'Thus it has been written, that the Christ should suffer.'" And on the third day, rise again from the dead. Jesus Christ was appointed to be our high priest. And he became the lamb who suffered. Jesus Christ was born to suffer. He came to give his life, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that sinners like us, those in need, might be saved and find life and hope through what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. We need the Christ because he was anointed by the Spirit to be our great high priest. But also, lastly, we need the Christ because he is the anointed king. Matthew traces the lineage of Jesus back to David as he writes, David the king. The Messiah was prophesied to be the descendant of David who would be born in the town of Bethlehem as, as John read earlier from Micah that the one who would be ruler In Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, would be born in Bethlehem, which is the city of David, the city of the king. Jesus, the promised king, was prophesied as being born in Bethlehem, and yet he comes as the king, lowly born in a manger. Jesus is not born in a palace, Jesus is not welcomed with a great throng of, of royalty, but he's born and laid in a manger. Not even the uh, Bethlehem Holiday and Express. Jesus gets the barn. Jesus is laid in a manger. As that hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King. Friends, this morning the King who came for us as a king that comes lowly, born in a manger, who comes clothed and robed in humility, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and comes to serve and to suffer that his subjects might be saved, that you and I might have life, that you and I might be forgiven. Y'all, that is true hope that sets us free. Is your hope this morning found in Christ? Is your hope in the Christ of Christmas. He's the risen King who rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Is that where your hope is found this morning? Well, it can be. Where's your hope? I found hope often is scary. To hope, to hope is hard. It can be frustrating. It can be disappointing. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah. Maybe this hope, maybe this Christmas hope is for other people. Maybe Jesus loves other folks. Maybe Jesus came for them, but certainly not for me. My family is a wreck. My home is filled with dysfunction. I struggle with the same sins each and every day. How could Jesus forgive me? I'm a failure as a father. I'm probably the worst mother ever. You just don't know what I'm going through. Jesus could not love someone like me. But there's so much hope found in this genealogy. As you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you find a lineage of messy people. The Messiah comes through that mess into our mess, bringing salvation. You look at Abraham. Abraham was called by God out of idolatry to serve and to follow him. And God promised the offspring would come through him. And he often made a mess of things. And you've got Rahab, who was a prostitute she's one of the ladies mentioned in this genealogy. Before she came to faith in God, she was a prostitute. And then you get David, David the king. And Matthew writes that he had a son Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And in that line, Matthew reminds us of David's sin. The wife of Uriah was Bathsheba, the one that David committed adultery with, and then had her husband Uriah murdered to cover it up. God sends the Christ through that line of messy people. And he enters into our mess, our sin, our brokenness, as the perfect Savior who takes that upon himself and he goes to the cross and he suffers for us. Friend, are you a mess this morning? Is your family messy? Messy people need the Messiah. Messy people need the Christ, the anointed one. I love the new movie, The Grinch, the uh, animated one that came out recently, and we watched this for a youth movie night recently, but I love this movie mostly because of one of the last scenes, and you know the story of The Grinch, right? He's the guy, he hates Christmas, and so he devises a plan to steal it, to steal everything about Christmas he can from the town of Whoville, and so he goes into the town, and he takes the Christmas trees, and the lights, and all of the presents, and he snatches them away, and he goes back to his house thinking that he has robbed the town of Christmas joy, but then he begins to hear singing in the distance. And he looks through his binoculars or whatever it he has, and he sees the city singing. And he focuses in on this little girl, Cindy Lou, who was singing with a smile on her face. A little girl who had been kind to him earlier, a girl that he had stolen Christmas from, he thought. And something changes in his heart. And so he, he rushes down and he brings all of the presents and trees and everything back, and he looks at the people in shame, and he says, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry, and he leaves, and he retreats back to his little house in the snowy mountain, and a few scenes later, there's a knock at the door, and the Grinch opens the door, and he looks out, and there's Cindy Lou Who standing out there, and she looks up at him, and she says, remember me, and the Grinch says, yeah, I do. And she says, we want to invite you to Christmas dinner. And the Grinch, shocked as we would all imagine, says, but I stole your gifts. And Cindy Lou says, I know. And he says, I stole your trees. And she says, yep. And in one last cry of desperation, the Grinch says, I stole your whole Christmas And Cindy Lou says, I know you did, but we're inviting you anyway. Dinner's at six. Don't be late. Friends, Christ invites you to a far greater feast this morning. He invites you to the table of the king. He invites you to come and he says, Remember me. I came and I gave my life that you might be saved. I know all of your sins. I know what separates you from me. I know the things in your heart, the things that you cling to, the things that you're afraid of, the things that you would say, Jesus, you would have nothing to do with me. And Jesus says, I know those things. And I've invited you anyway because I came and I gave my life. I bore your sins on my body on the tree and I gave my body broken for you that you may be healed. And I shed my blood that you might be cleansed and forgiven of your sins, and your sins would be washed away and atoned for. I came as the lamb, that you might come as a guest to the feast and have a seat at my table, the table of the king. Friends, would you come this morning? Maybe you've never put your hope in Christ. Jesus invites you to do that today. He invites you to come and to be known and to be loved by him to come out of the darkness into the light, to receive Jesus, to have the hope of Christmas. He's the one that you need. He's the one that your heart truly is desperate for. He is the hope of Christmas who came as the Messiah for messy sinners. So as we come to the table this morning, remember the gift and the invitation of our Savior who came that we might have life. We have a hope that lives, friends, because Jesus lives. And Jesus is coming again. And this meal is his promise. This meal is his seal to you that he loves you, that he longs to be with you, and he's coming again. That's an invitation. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us that you would come into this world to save sinners. Sinners like us who are desperately in need of your love and your grace. We are desperately in need of a lamb to be slain for us. And Jesus, you were willing to be that for us. Thank you for inviting us to your table that we might feast with you and have true life and hope in this dark world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.